0: Is the book of Acts, chapter 23. We're actually going to start in the 30th verse of chapter 22, where the narrative is given of Paul before the council. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. This is the commander. He was not going to mess with a Roman citizen, and so he wanted to know what was going on, if there were formal charges, if there was some illegality concerning Rome. He wanted to deal with it because this was a Roman citizen, and Paul had made him aware of this. And so Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. In other words, I have followed the law the very best I can. he understood salvation is by grace, but he was saying I have been a good Jew. I have followed all of the dictates, the very best that I can. I have a good conscience before God from my youth all the way to this day. Just because I've become a follower of Jesus doesn't mean I'm not a Jew. Now, this is a big stumbling block to those who are Jews today because I have many, many friends who are sympathetic to Jesus but they do not want to commit their lives to him because they have had it ingrained in them down through the years that if they become a follower of Jesus, they're no longer Jewish, they're Christian. That's just simply not the case. But out of my love and respect for them, I understand that. But what I'm saying to you is you can be an atheist and still be a Jew and believe in no God at all. Well, that doesn't make sense. You can be an agnostic and not know whether there's a God or not not know whether Jesus is the Messiah or not, and still be a Jew. You can be a Hindu and still be a Jew. You can be New Age and still be a Jew. Many are. And you can be almost anything, Buddhist, anything, and still be a Jew. But when it comes to Christianity, there is a great divide and a mark. And I believe that is ingrained in the Jewish mind. And the reason is, is because of the trouble down through the years. But the fact is, what happened in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 is that it was formalized that Christianity was not just a sect, S-E-C-T, of Judaism. It was the fulfillment of promises made by God that Messiah would come and he would take away the sin of the world. Now, the reason that they missed him in the first century, that is, as a nation, is because they were looking for the messianic age to be instituted then and the yoke of Rome to be broken and for them to live and Israel to be restored to the kind of reign under Messiah that went far beyond that, which... It was under David and Solomon and the great kings and the temple be rebuilt and so forth. That's coming. But what they did not see was a musterion. That is that God would call unto Himself not just the Jew, but would use the Jew and the Jewish people to reach the Gentiles. But the Jews mistakenly thought it was about them. Just like many times, the church now, followers of Jesus, think it's about us. It's not. It's never been about the Jews, and it's never been about the church. It's about God himself. And so the Apostle Paul was here going against the stream. He was going against the whole idea and concept of the Jewish identity as being the chosen people, which they still are, always will be. But you see, God loves more than just the Jews. The Jews were meant to be his hands and his feet to reach out to the Gentiles, but it became about the Jews. God is going to fulfill every promise He's ever made to the Jewish people, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to King David, and others. It's all going to come about in its time. But just as David had some of his mighty men were not, were not Jews, they were people from other lands. After all, Uriah the Hittite was a Hittite. That's why he was called the Hittite. He was not a Jew, but he was listed among David's mighty men along with others. And the reason that this is important, it doesn't say Uriah the Jew, the proselyte, the God-fearer. It just says Uriah the Hittite. Why? Because he was a non-Jew. This is very important for us to understand that Paul is about to talk with a council who doesn't want to recognize at all any concept of these people that are non-Jews. This is what happened in chapter 22. What got the people all upset in the temple is when Paul said, well, then if you're not going to hear me, I'll depart and go to the Gentiles where Jesus said he would send me. Well, that just threw them over the edge. And so Paul, looking earnestly at the council, men and brethren, I've lived in good conscience before God until this day. I'm still a Jew, even though I'm a follower of Jesus. Again, parenthetically, let me say that for the first eight to 10 years, everyone was a Jew who was in the church, it was only at Caesarea by the sea, Maritime, in Acts chapter 10 that the first Gentile came in. And it says, and the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you set to judge me according to the law and command me to be struck contrary to the law. And those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I didn't know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it's written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Paul was trying to say to them, I understand what the scripture says, and I'm not trying to speak against the high priest. I can't keep up with who is the high priest, basically is what he's saying. And so he perceived that one part of the council was Sadducees and the other Pharisees, and they believed totally different, even though they were in the same council. And he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope, the expectation, and resurrection of the dead. That's why I'm being judged, because he was. He was being judged because he was saying, Jesus is Messiah. He's the anointed one. Yes, he died, but he rose again from the dead. After all, we do believe in resurrection, and certainly the Messiah, if he is a Messiah, could not stay dead because he is alive forevermore. And for this, he was being judged. And it says in verse 7, When he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Paul knew what he was doing. It was a strategy. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit. They were the rationalists. They were those who did not believe in the supernatural manifestations as recorded in the scriptures. But the Pharisees confessed both. Confessed both what? The resurrection and angels and spirits. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes and the Pharisees, the parties arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now there arose a great dissension. The commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them, and bring him into the barracks. In other words, the commander said, this is totally turned into a free-for-all. Go down there and get Paul because he is a Roman citizen. And uh, these people have gotten beside themselves. But the following night, this is very important. But the following night after this happened, the Lord stood by Paul and said, be of good cheer. Cheer up, Paul. Now, that implies that Paul was waiting on a word from God. I mean, after all, he was just in a stage of waiting. There was nothing he could do. Be of good cheer, Paul. Isn't it wonderful when God calls us by name? Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, which he had just been doing over the last hours. Now, listen to this. Just as you've testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness... At Rome. Now, this is a promise of God. You will bear witness. You will go to Rome. Now, here's the amazing thing. God didn't tell Paul the rest of the story. As you read through the remainder of the book of Acts, you're going to find out that Paul had to stay in prison for a good while. He was in Caesarea. He had to give testimony. He gave his witness and his testimony before Agrippa, before Felix, before Festus, these Roman proggers. He would have never had an opportunity to share with them the grace of God without this opportunity. It was just like when he was at Rome and he wrote to the Philippians and said, I'm in Rome, I'm in a prison cell, but you know what? This has turned out for good because in this prison cell, I have people that guard me all the time, and I've just been sharing the gospel, and people's lives have been changed. So me being in prison has turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. This is what he says in the book of Philippians, and that was from a prison cell. The book of Philippians is the most joyful letter. When we get there, I can't wait to get there because you're going to love it. It's the most joyful of all his letters, and it's written from a prison cell. You see, circumstances and people cannot steal our joy unless we allow that to happen. And so God told him, That night, when he was being held in Jerusalem, you're going to go to Rome. Now, he didn't tell him how he was going to get there. He didn't tell him he was going to have to spend more time in prison. He didn't tell him that he was going to be on a ship and it was going to be wrecked and it was going to be abandoned. It was going to be he was going to be floating on a log in the Mediterranean, that he was going to get snake bitten. He didn't tell him all of that. You know why? It wasn't necessary to tell him. Many times we won't know the details, and if we could know the truth and know the details ahead of time, we couldn't stand it. I mean, I don't want to pull a Jack Nicholson, but the truth is we can't handle the truth. We can't. If we knew it, would scare us to death. Or it would be so good that we would be prideful at how God's going to use us, and it would engender pride within us. You see, it's best to just know our destination, let God take care of the details, and let him be our travel agent. This is exactly what happened. But that doesn't mean it's going to be first class all the time. That doesn't mean it's going to be a bed of roses all the time. No, from this point on, I'm talking about from verse 11, when God said, Paul, I have allowed you to witness to the people here in Jerusalem, and you've you've been faithful, so I'm going to make sure you get to Rome. And what he didn't realize was when he appealed to Caesar, he was going to get to stand before Caesar, but... It wasn't going to turn out well. But see, God didn't need to tell him all that. He just said, you're going to Rome. And he didn't tell him it was going to be a long time before he got there. He didn't tell him about the shipwreck. He didn't tell him about all the good things that he was going to be able to do. The people he was going to be able to witness to. The miracles he he was going to be able to be a part of. The prophecies he was going to give. All he said was, your destination is set. You know what you and I need to remember? Our destination is set. What happens between here and our destination? is in the hands of God. And the same God that says, I'm going to get you there, He knows how He's going to get us there. And what we need to do is rest in Him. I can't even tell you how many times I've been on a plane, going overseas, going across this great nation of ours. And just recently, my wife and I were on a trip. We left the Tri-Cities in northeastern Tennessee, and headed down to Atlanta. It's just, just a few minutes, really. It's just less than 30 minutes or so on a good day. But we took off. And as is the case, as you rise up over the mountains of East Tennessee, many times you get a bump or two. There was a lady sitting on the other side of us. It was a smaller plane, about 70 seats. And we were toward the back of the plane. And we were in two seats, and the two seats right across from us had a lady who was absolutely frightened and scared out of her wits. Now, Karen and I, we were on the same plane. The man sitting next to her didn't know her. It was the first time he had ever met her. And when we took off in the first couple of bumps, she literally went berserk and start, I felt for her because she started saying, we're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die. It was turbulent, but it wasn't the worst by far that we'd ever been in because my wife wasn't even pinching my leg. And I'm telling you, when I get leg pinching, then we're getting into some turbulence, but it wasn't leg pinching kind of turbulence. But this woman was miserable the entire way. Now, we took off, had a great takeoff, had a few bumps along the way, but we enjoyed a smooth ride most of the time. But there were some bumps, but this lady was in misery the entire time. We were over there eating peanuts and pretzels and having a Coke or a Sprite, whatever we had. We were enjoying the ride. Why? Because it was a beautiful day. We could see outside. You could see for miles and miles for the horizon. This lady didn't even want to look outside. It scared her to death. Again, I felt for but let me just tell you, we all took off and we landed together. It was a great ride for us. It was a horrible ride for her. You know what the difference was? Her attitude. Her trust, her fear, her bondage. You see, the Lord is our pilot. He's not our co-pilot. A co-pilot is someone you call on when you need something, you get in trouble, or the pilot passes out or has to go tend to something. We used to see signs and tags, God's my co-pilot. God doesn't want to be your co-pilot. He wants to be the pilot. Why? Because he's the only one who knows the way. He is the way. And we can rest in Him knowing that we have a destination, and that destination is heaven. That destination is with God. That destination is walking with Him. And we can either enjoy the journey, even when the things get bumpy, we know that if we know where the destination is, we can even ride out the bumps. This is why Paul said, hey, look, we're going to make it. You know why? Because God's already told me we're going, I'm going to be in Rome. So now, I'm not going to die out here in the middle of the Mediterranean. Stick with me, and nobody will get hurt. And this is exactly what happened. We're going to see this in the book of Acts. So I believe the most important verse in chapter 23, and there's some important verses, is verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, you must also bear witness of me at Rome. When God says, I'm going to get you there, you can just lay back and rest. God's going to get you there. Now, there may be storms along the way, maybe a lot of turbulence and bumps, maybe some shipwrecks, but God will get you to the destination because the one that's begun a good work in you will bring it to pass. He'll perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp.